Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 70, and I am your co-host, Nigel. I'm Tazzy, online content creator and co-host. And here to join us for our deep dive is comic creator Christian Carnouche. Christian, welcome. I was going to say welcome back because we've spoken, but this is the first time you've been on the show. So welcome for the first time. Thanks so much and thanks for having me again. Yeah. Um, so Christian and I spoke uh, last year in the year that was 2020 for the Comic Online event, the uh, Dutch Comic Con. Um, so yeah, I'll put those notes in the, I'll put a link to that interview in the show notes so people can check that out. Um, it was, I was just saying to Christian uh, earlier that it was one of the, the first round of like video interviews that I did. So looking back at that and uh, seeing uh, sort of the progression in terms of like getting a proper camera and editing and all that stuff, um, it's funny to look back on, but yeah, people can see my early work in the show notes. You can also subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, and wherever you get your podcasts from. As always, you can send us your feedback and questions to feedback at myamada.com in our Discord or on social media. We are at MyMatter on Twitter, at TV on Instagram, or at Tazzy on both. Before we get into the story discussions for today, we're going to start with the latest goings on in the Mayamada universe. For those keeping track, we are still working through the new manga series Through the Fog. Uh, like our Prime Minister Boris Johnson, we have delayed the release to July. It was going to be June. It's now going to be July. We are on track, though. Uh, the numbers are looking good so far. So we're looking to like time this with the, the lifting of lockdown restrictions here in the UK. Uh, so it's a story about a pandemic and all the sort of impacts uh, that that causes within the world of Sirius. So it's about Blake, his team dealing with the kind of destruction of their of their goals, their aspirations, having to deal with that professionally, personally, and the positive lessons and outcomes that can still be had in situations like that. So yeah, it's going to be available uh, in July. And between now and then, we'll be sharing early progress and artwork with our Kickstarter backers and Studio 77 members. We'll also be sharing uh, sneak peeks on social media. So you'll be able to see some of the concept artwork that we've been uh, working on, some of the uh, early page um, and panel sketches. And yeah, it's all it's all coming together. So uh, pre-orders are available uh, now on our website. And yeah, we're just going to be talking about this over the next month. So recently we had our mid-season podcast live stream on Twitch where in the first segment, we invited My Matter illustrator Penali and co-founder, uh, other co-founder uh, Lau to talk about the story, about um, the manga, how we make our stories, uh, some of our favorite non-My Matter stories of the year so far. So the VOD is still available as you listen to this, if you're listening to this early. Uh, if not, we'll put some highlights up on YouTube and Studio 77 members will be able to uh, gain access to those uh, full segments uh, through their membership. Uh, so yeah, stay tuned for the next My Matter story. Uh, over in the gamepad world, or gamepad part of uh, My Matter, 
we are going to be doing a Rocket League Games Night. In fact, if you're listening to this on the day of the podcast release, it's today. So that's going to be happening. Watch us play uh, Rocket League. I feel slightly more confident about this than I have. Why? Uh, only because I've played it like <laughs> okay <one. laughs> before. Like, not feeling confident. <laughs> that's that the only reason. This is <laughs> so. This is our third uh, games night, I believe, and first game that I've actually played <laughs> previous to the game night, and that's what fills me with some level of confidence, Tazzy. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're feeling a bit confident because I'm not. <laughs> like, I'm just not at all feeling confident about this. And I was like, wait, how how are you feeling confident? And I'm not. <laughs> Give me know, your right? confidence. The table, the table <laughs> <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> um, but yeah, you can watch us. Uh, so on Twitch, we're going to be doing it from 7 p.m., but depending on when this goes out, uh, you will ca- be able to catch the VOD. Like I said, I also recommend, speaking of previous games nights, that you check out the highlights from our Roblox games night, which is the highlights of which are now on YouTube and soon to come the highlights from our Fortnite games night, which will also be put on YouTube once I get around to uh, editing and <laughs> putting all those uh, up. But It'll be worth the wait because, yeah, like I said, when you get people who have never, or who, in my case, let me just speak for myself, never played this game before, it's fun to watch them play. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. And uh, our gamepad, our summer gamepad event is coming on July the 10th. So, this is going to be live on Twitch, hosted by Tazzy. And we are coming back with our friendly fire competition, uh, another round of industry interviews and also giving away some MyMada artwork. So make sure you get your tickets. They are free, but uh, we're going to be doing a raffle for people who do have tickets. Um, and one lucky ticket holder will get a printed canvas version of this artwork that we're going to be producing for the event. And then people in the Discord will be able to get the high-res uh, digital version uh, of that. So yeah, get your tickets, join our Discord, gamepad.events for all the information there so those are some of the updates from the Maya Matter universe let's talk about everyone's story of the week so this is a part of the podcast where we have a spoiler-free discussion about what stories everyone has been reading watching or playing and we'll start with our guest christian Cool. Uh, I just finished reading the French graphic novel Carbon and Silicium by Mathieu Babelet. Um, he, he is a French comic book creator I discovered last year when I moved to France. Um, the art in this story, in all these stories, is just absolutely amazing. The uh, detail, especially in the architecture and the buildings, is just incredible. And his stories are all very philosophical. Uh, so the basic concept of this story is that in the future some prototype robots are designed in order to take care of the aging human population but they're only given lifespans of about 15 years so very similar to Blade Runner and but they end up escaping the lab and then they basically are just trying to find ways to extend their lifespans and the authorities chase them and they travel from country to country over the period of about 300 years I think um I don't want to give away any more information, but yeah, that's it. But it's just a brilliant graphic novel and I'd recommend it to anyone. The only problem is I'm not sure if it's in English. So maybe it wasn't the best choice um, to talk about. Uh, but anyway, that's Learning it. Learning new language and 
get a new story. Yeah. <laughs> or learn a new language to get a new story, rather. Yeah. <laughs> oh, cool. It sounds really interesting. Unfortunately, I I don't know French. Well, I know a few words, you know, but I don't think enough to to uh, read something. <laughs> um, but it sounds pretty pretty interesting. I always find that kind of story quite like curious that we we expect to create something and then it to act like us. But I suppose it would. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of got similar themes to um, Blade Runner as well, in the sense that it's it talks about like the big questions in life. You know, what makes us human? Um, What's the meaning of life? And yeah, so it's uh, typical French, I guess. They're very philosophical. So um, mm. yeah, I, I mean, I love all comics and superheroes and all sort of silly movies as well. You know, silly comics. But yeah, this kind of story is right up my alley. It's very, it's, it's very cerebral. But then you know, it's not boring. It's not just like a uh, information dump and all dialogue. You know, it's very beautiful and easy to read and a lot of action. And yeah. Well, they'll probably release it in English. I, I, I think he's picking up um, a bit of a fan base now and he's um, published by a big company. So I think it'll probably be translated at some point. Nice. We'll look out for the, the translated version then. <laughs> so I am currently re-watching something. So I'm currently re-watching Once Upon a Time and I forgot how much I love this, <laughs> this series. Um, so it's... The premise of the story is that they are fairy tale characters that have been transported from their fairy tale realm to our world. And lots of stuff happens. Uh, they are nearly all the characters are unaware that they are fairy tale characters and think they are just living in a town, living normal lives. But, you know, they've actually been cursed and they have no memories of their previous lives. Like, they don't know that they're princesses and princes and kings and I don't know, other various fairy tale characters. Um, but it's all like based on, yeah, like your very well-known fairy tale characters. Uh, and it's just so interesting how they weave their stories into this world and into their like this world persons um and yeah like it's hard to talk about without any spoilers but i definitely recommend it especially after re-watching it i'm like oh yeah like this happens and i'm like i forgot what happened here and how do they work this in and i'm like i forgot how good this is so yeah if you like if you like fairy tales uh but not the usual way they are told then once upon a time is a great watch and then I mentioned this in our E3 podcast, I believe, but Dragon Quest Builders 2, I'm like on on like the next bit of the story on a new island, which has its own little story. And I just love it. Just, I just love this game so much. <laughs> this is like a hidden gem and I just constantly want to play it. It's just, I played it over my birthday weekend because um, I was like, I'm just going to take time off. That was my present to myself was time off. That's a good present. I know, right? I, I, <laughs> I was like, and are you managed to get that in stock? Oh, we've we've struggles. Like, I even tried to um, sort of like not use social media, but I had to use it a little bit because, like, organizing, seeing people, and obviously people wanting to wish me happy birthday and things like that. But I, uh, yeah, I was 
on the whole, just away from my phone and just chilled out and played a lot of Dragon Quest Builders too. And I just, I just love like each sort of island you go to has its own little story that adds to like the overall story and you, you gain something, like you bring something back and they're all like different. They all have like a different problem, but they all also have like a different resource, like a different skill. And so you're like trying to gain whatever resource and skills that each island has, uh, but like trying to resolve their their problem. And yeah, I love it. I could just play it all day, every day. I don't like, I just discover, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's very peaceful as well because the music's just like, doo -doo. yeah. Um, and then the last thing I want to talk about is a podcast. So the podcast is called Seek in Peace and it's by a guy called Christian King, who I know from way back. Um, but I recently started listening to it. I've like listened to the first two podcasts and I just was so inspired. Um, and it's nice to listen to like a podcast about creativity and people's journeys uh, and it not being American. Because uh, I think I listen to a lot of... And not my own, yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> So like kind of like an like a self-help creative podcast um where they bring on people a bit like our interview podcast but just more yeah just in a different with different creatives less comic book and video game focused and like more more spiritual I'm going to go with spiritual maybe the right probably the wrong wrong word I don't know how to explain it <laughs> Talk about like meditation and affirmations and yoga and all that fun stuff, along with other things. Um, so yeah, I love it. Like first episode, I was like, I'm so glad you made this podcast. It's so good. Like anything you're you're worrying about making this, like you, you don't have to. You don't need imposter syndrome here. It's so good. But yeah, Nigel, what about you? So I actually forgot because uh, Christian mentioned a uh, comic and I'm I'm reading Deadly Class. So I, I forgot to put that down in our notes, but because I, I bought volume seven of the Deadly Class comic and then realized it had been so long since I'd read sort of one to six that I may as well reread one to six. So I did that and now I'm caught up um, on back on seven or on seven for the first time. Really good comic series. Uh, I mentioned it at some point on the podcast but it's about a yeah uh, a guy Marcus who uh, gets brought into a school for assassins. So it's this whole kind of uh, almost like a high school drama with a layer of uh, assassins on it. So the stakes are just way higher. But it's got all the the same trappings that you'd find there. But it's such a yeah such a good kind of feels very visceral story. And yeah, you just see this guy enter the situation and it just goes downhill <laughs> for him and you see how he deals with that how the people around him deal with that and is yeah just such a visual uh story to uh to read in the way that the panels are done the colors are used and it's it's always good to see like comics do momentum and movement uh right so it's a dynamic uh comic is the word i'm using for so i highly highly recommend that the other thing that i'm watching is the Mandalorian? I'm finally caught up to whenever, <laughs> two years ago. <laughs> well, catching up. I'm in the process of catching up to the Mandalorian. Uh, you know, what? it's pretty good. Yeah, uh, I kind of <laughs> see what people see what people are talking about. I, I so from episode one, I was like, 
I like this. Uh, you know, sometimes you need to maybe get a few episodes in and, and kind of get a feel for that. I'm like, no, actually, I like this. I like the way it's presented. It feels, uh, I don't know if this is a bad thing to say, but it feels like Star Wars without the baggage. I don't know okay. if, I know Tazzy's talked about it before. I don't know, if Kristen, if you've seen uh, the show. I've seen it and I love it. Yeah, yeah. And that, that's a great way to describe it, actually. And it's weird for me to say, because I'm not, I'm not necessarily a massive Star Wars fan. So when I say baggage, it's like, it just feels like when I go and see a, like one of the, the main trilogies, I'm, I need to know everything. I need to know mm. who did what, when to get the impact of this. Whereas The Mandalorian just feels just authentically in this world, but you don't need to come with the full knowledge of the world. You can just enjoy the story. Yeah, definitely. Oh, you're making me want to rewatch The Mandalorian. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, yeah, and uh, I'm about, I can't even remember now, actually, like maybe five, six episodes in, something like that. And yeah, the the, the dynamic between The Mandalorian and, and Baby Yoda, obviously now catching up to memes uh, from years ago. <laughs> <laughs> about you, it's all, it's all starting to make sense now. Um, that's I like that dilemma, though, because you kind of got this... Um, I don't know, he's got this like single dad energy. It's just, yes, it's just, big single dad energy. I love it. Well, just, just trying to do his job and then just this baby and just like seeing how different people respond to baby Yoda. It's, uh, yeah, and, and the, the story itself is really cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm really enjoying it. And then I think something Tazzy mentioned at the time was that it kind of, it, it makes me more interested for like Star Wars lore like oh what's what's going on what what is this about you know what's the history behind this what's the relevance so yeah it's uh it's well done really well done so far it's like i say star wars without the baggage and i just can enjoy the the story for for what it is so definitely enjoying that and the third and final thing i will mention uh is ratchet and clank drift apart um because it's a story video games are a story but also to prove to tazzy uh, that I'm playing a game that's new and I'm actually <laughs> I'm actually playing I'm not very far but <laughs> I've actually started playing this game and I'll say so I my, the first time I played Ratchet and Clank was very recently it was the re remastered or remade one for PS4 and I played it just after finishing The Last of Us Part 2 uh, and as much as I love that game because I absolutely love that game I needed a tonal shift. <laughs> I, needed, <laughs> I needed something so ratchet. Understandably. Yeah, right? It's like, like well, it's only so much that you can take. So yeah, I thought Ratchet and Clank looks fun. Let me give that a go. And when I say fun, this is this is such a purely fun game. Like I didn't, I knew I'd like it just from the looks of it, but I didn't expect to enjoy it so much. So as soon as I heard about the latest one on PS5, just jumped on that. To be fair, the reason I did get it early is because I'm doing a session in a school and we're talking about sort of video games as uh, STEM-related careers. And we talked about um, PlayStation 5. I brought in my PlayStation 5, so I wanted to bring in, before the end of the session, I wanted to bring in Ratchet & Clank so they can see, like the kids can see a, a next-gen PS5 game. And uh, we can talk about that. Otherwise, to be honest, I probably would not have got this <laughs> on release because um, I don't do pre-orders uh, necessarily. I also don't do pre-orders at seventy pounds. That uh, that was a hit, but but I do that for the kids, I guess. But I'm also playing for this game. Kids. I'm just yeah, loving this game. It's just it's just fun. That the, in the true meaning of that word, it's just fun. It's so enjoyable. And even the short while I've been playing this game, it's like yeah, I just love this game. Just 
just fun. It's just fun. Go play it. I have to say, like the thing, thing that well, there's two games that really appeal to me for like getting a PS5. And Ratchet and Clank is one of them, and it's so funny because obviously PlayStation have these big cinematic, like blockbuster single player games, uh, and I'm like, I want Ratchet and Clank and Sackboy. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> like they are the two that I'm like really interested in playing. Honestly, this because the the weapons, like, well, one, it's like watching a Pixar film. Just we've got to that level now. Like I'm playing a Pixar level animated film, and then the weapons are just so crazy and so silly, but it's so fun. You just want to get the next one. You just want to use mm. it, and it's just yeah, I yeah, I can't speak highly enough of this of this game. So yes, those are some of the stories that we have been uh, enjoying. Uh, we're now going to get to our main story discussion. Today, we're going to be talking about Snowpiercer, uh, not the series, the 2013 science fiction action film directed by Bong Joon-ho, hope I'm pronouncing that right, and based on the French graphic climate fiction novel, uh, and here's where my uh, GCSEC uh, in French is going to be put to the test, Le Trans Personnage, that's the best I can do, sorry. Uh, um, so yeah we're going to be diving deep into this so spoiler alert we are going to be talking about all aspects of this film I will do a, a recap of the plot but before I do that I want to get a, a quick overall impressions uh, from everyone so starting with Christian what are your thoughts on this uh, on this story uh, yeah first thoughts um, I absolutely love the film I'm a huge sucker for dystopian stories, and and it's not just super fun to watch, but I'm also really into the themes that that it explores, like uh, class struggle, for example. Um, I guess which we'll probably get into later. And yeah, it's just funny that you guys actually asked me to chat about this specific film because it's one of my favourite films, and I've seen it a whole bunch of times. You know, I've read the comics and watched the first season of the of the show. So yeah, I mean, I'm. Yeah, I'm totally, totally biased towards this film. I love it. And I, and I love the director, so. We don't mind some bias on the on the show, so that's all good. Tazzy, what about you? What did you think, uh, having just recently watched it? Even recently, more recently than me, which is a... Uh... <laughs> like, as in recently, before we recorded the podcast. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, I was, we recorded two podcasts today, and I was watching it before the first one. And I was like, oh, I need to get on to record the first podcast and I had like 10 minutes left so in between <laughs> podcasts <laughs> I watched the last 10 minutes so uh, yeah very recently I thought I was going to find this tougher to watch than I did just because it does it's quite dark but also I really enjoyed it well I enjoyed watching it <laughs> not necessarily the things Enjoy that it. happened in it <laughs> um, and also I kind of like it made me think of a video game because it oh, it's like yeah. levels. It's one yeah. of those uh video game movies that's not a video game movie. <laughs> the best video game movies are. Yeah. <laughs> so I appreciated it. Yeah, no, I didn't even think about the video game nature of like, yeah, the stages, the levels. Okay. Even uh, like boss kind of has like mini bosses, boss fights, and uh like you know, NPC island <laughs> goons to be. <laughs> Lots of NPCs. Uh, so I, yeah, so I, I also watched it, not as recently as, as Tazzy, but uh, still relatively recently. I'd, I'd heard of this before, 
Uh, and then when I looked into it, I was like, okay, I quite like the the themes around this. And turns out I, I do really like the themes. I, I do like when stories have strong themes to them and, and say something. Um, I think that's kind of like key to a, a good story. But even before that, I just, I like watching this. Um, maybe it's the video game nature of it or the way it's, the way it's structured or the way it's, the way it's shot or so, there's just something about this. I'm like, I just like watching this. I like, I want to see what comes next. I want to see how these uh, characters uh, react. I, I like the the individual characters. Uh, Tilda, Tilda Swinton was almost unrecognizable and <laughs> in, in her, she was just in her, in that character. That was really good to, good to see. And yeah, just the, the tone. I think that's it, the tone. I really enjoyed the tone of this film, the way it was able to take what are quite heavy and like, as you said, themes that you could sort of get depressed about uh, almost, but make it something that is, or in my opinion, for like share that opinion with others, like enjoyable uh, to watch and then to think about uh, after after the film. So yeah, I was like really impressed with it. And uh, we will get into all those themes in just a moment. But I will, like I said, I will recap uh, the story that for those that might not have seen it as recently as myself and Tazzy. So the story takes us to 2041, 17 years after an attempt to stop global warming via climate engineering backfires and creates a new ice age. What remains of humanity now lives on a circumnavigational train, the Snowpiercer, created by transport magnate Wilfred. Passengers on the train are segregated with the elite in the front cars and the poor in the tail end. Curtis and his friend Edgar lead the tail passengers in a revolt. They free Namgoon, a security specialist, and his clairvoyant daughter, Yona. Namgoon helps the tail army progress forward, but they soon end up fighting guards, lots of guards, overseen by Minister Mason. During the fighting, Curtis is able to capture Mason and uses her as a bargaining chip to end the battle. Edgar, however, is fatally stabbed and dies. Curtis leads Manson... Namgoon, Yona, Gray, Tanya and Andrew, the last two have both had their children taken away towards the front of the train. They eventually reach a classroom where a teacher is indoctrinating children. Uh, a random man brings eggs for the children to celebrate the 18th New Year, which marks one circumnavigation of the earth. The Eggman heads towards the tail army and ambushes them freeing the captured guards while the teacher shoots and kills Andrew before Gray kills her. Franco, a guard loyal to Mason, uses the distraction to execute the tail elder and leader Gilliam. Curtis, in return, kills Mason. The group reaches the last car before the engine. Namgoon reveals he and Yona have been collecting Chrono, an addictive drug but also potent explosive which he wants to use to blow the door to the outside, believing the ice may be thawing. The engine room soon opens and Wilfred's assistant Claude emerges to invite Curtis inside. Curtis meets Wilfred and learns he and Gilliam have conspired to stage Curtis's rebellion to reduce the train's population back to sustainable levels. Curtis then offers his position leading the train. Curtis seems ready to accept when Yona rushes in and pulls open a floorboard to reveal Andrew and Tanya's children, Andy and Timmy, working the engine as slaves. Appalled, Curtis knocks out Wilfred and rescues Timmy from the machinery, losing an arm in the process. Curtis gives Yona matches to light the fuse for the chronol. 
Curtis and Namgoon use their bodies to protect Yona and Timmy from the blast. The explosion causes an avalanche that derails the train. Shortly after, Yona and Timmy escape the wreckage. They see a polar bear in the distance, indicating that life exists outside the train. The end. So Christian touched on this before that being a big fan and has seen or read the original material and seen the the show. So in terms of like the the source material, because you you did a review of like one of the prequels prequels as well, right, Christian? I did, I did, I did a review um, for my mate Dave's uh, website, the World Comic Book Review. I think it is, but uh, yeah, I reviewed the first prequel. There are actually three volumes of the prequel, but yeah, I reviewed the, the first one. Okay, and what did you think of like the original source and how it uh, differs or even like stays true to like what you watched in the film? Yeah, um, like I love I love the original comics. Um, they're similar in a lot of ways, and they're dissimilar in a lot of ways. There are a few volumes. It's not just like one. Like the film's basically just volume one of the comic, uh, and then there are a couple of sequels. Uh, there are three prequel volumes as well, and I think the. Th- the first two are out, and the third one is out this month, I think. And I've only read the first prequel. I think uh, Titan Comics is bringing them out. But basically in Volume 1, yes, so it's basically the film. But in the comic, the main character is basically trying to battle his way to the front of the train, very similar to um, to the film, except he just wants to leave the train. You know, he's not he's not looking to start a revolution. Oh, okay. So it's more personal or selfish reasons. Yeah, yeah, kind of, yeah. He's, I, I mean, I, I actually haven't read that comic for about three, four years, even longer, and all my comics are back in Holland, so I, I couldn't reread it. But, yeah, if I remember correctly, he was, it was Paul Off, and he was a bit more of a, not an anti-hero, but he wasn't the classic kind of hero in the way that... Um, he wasn't Chris Evans, basically. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. That guy, you know, that little actor. But... um. Uh, although he's also a bit of an anti-hero as well, I guess. Um, yeah, to be fair, yeah, he has he has yeah, come. Yeah, with some of the reveals in the in the end, but um, uh, I don't want to spoil too much of the comics, but but in volume two, so after volume one, basically the same thing happens. I think where the train's destroyed. I can't remember exactly how, but in volume two, there's a second train after the first Snowpiercer train, um, and then so we basically follow their adventures as they're trying to survive and. Uh, and spoiler alert, but they actually venture outside the train, searching for other humans, and so it's quite interesting in that way. And but um, so, the sto- so that's the story. But theme wise, I mean, there is obviously sort of themes of uh, class struggle, but um, the main theme, at least uh, in in the prequel that I just that I just read, sort of about a year ago, the main theme is about environmental issues rather than social justice issues. And I, th- I think I actually read an interview with a with an artist, and he was talking about how, you know, these issues are more relevant to their time. Sort of in, I think it was in the eighties, in the early eighties, you know, when there was like the nuclear sort of arms race, and you know, I think even the artist said he was protesting France's nuclear capacity and stuff. So it was, yeah, it was a bit more relevant to their period. But um, but in so so that's in the, yeah in the first prequel, but. So I think in the movie it's more about sort of class struggle, but then in the prequel it's actually it's actually a, a terrorist group that um, that want to speed up the extinction of humankind because they've basically been destroying the planet, and they're the ones who bring on this kind of nuclear winter, this this big freeze, in order to what they believe is saving the Earth. 
so I think it's a bit of a different take, but I haven't read the the final two prequels, so it might bring it around to the movie a bit more. But I, I, I feel that the comic explored a bit more the your terrorist, my freedom fighter conundrum. Now, like I know this has been done quite a lot, but the way they did it was quite interesting. So, um, yeah, I, I, I totally recommend the comics. Uh, they they are in English this time. I'm, I'm recommending something in English. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so different, not different. Uh, one thing I think I didn't really notice at the time, and it's been a few years since I sort of read the first one, but I think I was reading kind of a, a review about it and someone said that the movie has more strong, strong female characters in it, whereas the comics didn't. And I don't know if this is a reflection of of the time or, if, you know, whatever it was. But, yeah, I guess that's a major difference when it comes to, um, you know, that kind of inclusion and diversity uh, side of it. Yeah, it's always interesting to to see what they... So when you're, I guess this counts as an adaptation or some form of adaptation, but what you take from the original like source material versus what you sort of add your, yourself, um, particularly when they're made in sort of different times, whenever that might have been. So, yeah, because the, like the film, like I said, has some big themes. And I guess climate is not necessarily a major theme. It's kind of like an overarching theme because it's the reason why they're all in the situation they are in, but it's not necessarily spoken about other to set the scene. And then like you say, kind of, it then goes into the the class uh, struggles and and that uh, type of themes. Mm, exactly. Also, put a a link to your review in the in the show notes for this episode, so people can uh, check that out. And yeah, I'm interested to uh, see the those uh, graphic novels as well. As for the film itself, uh, like I mentioned, it was just enjoyable to watch, and I felt this was partly just because the way it was shot and it was shot in a less of a realistic way and more in a symbolism kind of way so there were things that didn't necessarily <laughs> make complete sense but just like fun to watch like when they got to the 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 car with the guards and they were faced with this just wall of like axe wielding i'm gonna say axe wielding maniacs because they were kind of maniacal it's just like <laughs> it doesn't feel realistic but i love it <laughs> Yeah, they even had some like really interesting fight moments in that bit where the blood kind of splattered in just a completely unrealistic way. Yeah, I'm thinking about it kind of was like how it would look in a panel in a comic book pan or graphic novel panel mm. rather than how a movie would be filmed, if that makes sense. It kind of like zoomed in and froze on like the blood sparring on his face and then quickly switch to another his embodiment i guess <laughs> <laughs> uh, with those kind of like close-up shots it was funny like those kind of scenes look very like i don't want to say the word unrealistic but they look very you know fantastical kind of mm. yeah, way but for some reason it, you, you weren't sitting there going oh this is ridiculous you know this wouldn't happen or it just he somehow managed to make it you know just look like it could really happen you know like and I was like, I couldn't put my, I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but it's just, yeah, what you said, it it looked fantastical, but it just, it made sense within what I was watching. And it was, yeah, it was kind of weird because you had that, obviously at times, silliness, but then what you were watching was like a, a serious thing because the, the themes were very, very serious and very real 
things you could relate to but yeah just some of the stuff in there was was just like this is mad i think that's like what made it like not so hard well yeah it wasn't even hard it was so easy for me to watch when normally something that covers such dark themes some of the themes are very dark um like i really struggle to watch and like i put off watching it well literally until today because it's like today's not the day i'm feeling delicate (laughs) and i'm like well actually i would have been fine watching it at any point um because of the way it does approach it but still doesn't dance around any of the issues like it does still face them quite head on yeah and it is very much um because i I even noted down like this uh essentially is like this allegory story about like class structure and those different levels and uh struggles from sort of the bottom to the top like literally the the whole train is the system is the world uh and then you've got curtis leading his his team his group from the bottom or the back of the train making their way to the the front so the whole thing is like it says something about this system that we all exist in and it's yeah it's just cool to see that being so well executed in a way that you could just take in um without sort of overly thinking about themes like you could just enjoy this film like as a film and not think mm. too deeply about it but then the those like those clues are are clearly there and is because i don't know if i've I don't think I've seen anything this director has done, but Christian, there's like, is the style something, yeah, is the style the uh, Bong Joon-ho is something that is matches his style in terms of the way this film is is delivered? Oh, God, that's a good question. Um, I've watched a few of his movies. I don't know if you guys have seen Parasite, uh, the one that he won an Academy Award for. Oh, you know, I haven't. I have uh, a long-running tradition of not seeing Oscar-winning films. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's a bad one, but... <laughs> so he... You know, he he directed that movie, and that's sort of the movie that um, a lot of non-Koreans kind of realised that this um, director existed. You know, a lot of um, people that only, only watch Hollywood movies, but that sort of um, broached the same social issues it's all about. You know, the class struggle and but the style, yeah, it, it's it, you know, it's kind of also looks a little bit surreal, but also sort of makes sense. And it like it's it's not sci-fi, and there's it's not sort of hardcore action. It's a bit of it, like it's a thriller, drama thriller, but it, and black comedy. But um, but yeah, it's a similar thing, I guess, where it looks surreal. But another, I think I've only watched another two of his movies. There's one, Memories. I think Memories of a Murder. I think it's called. But I haven't seen that for years. But the one I do remember watching, and ironically, I I didn't like it, but I should rewatch it. It's called The Host. And it's a Korean language one that he did a few years ago, and and I, I turned it off after half an hour. After half an hour, I was watching with my wife, and it was sort of this big monster attack. I think it was in Seoul, and the monster was running through the through the city, and you know the main character is running away with his, I think, mean, I don't know if his daughter or something, and it just looked ridiculous to me. And but now that I've sort of watched a few of his movies and I've thought more about his the way he does films, I. I I should rewatch it, you know, because it's probably there's some kind of much. Obviously, there's going to be a deeper meaning to that movie than what I saw. Just this monster running through. Um, I think it was the host, yeah. But um, yeah. So I, yeah, I guess it's a common. Um, I didn't explain that very well, but yeah, it definitely. I, I wouldn't say it's out of character for his movies. Yeah, no, it, um, I get what you're saying. It's like sometimes you have to get how a, how a certain director or creator 
speaks through their work and you have to sort of align with that um before you can kind of take in what you're seeing and uh, mm. Another film I will shout out is um, Train to Busan. I don't know if any of you have seen that. Yes, love that film. Amazing film. That is so good. And another sort of train-based, less of a allegory on kind of uh, class <laughs> structures and more of a bunch of zombies <laughs> and let's get out of here. But it's really, really good film. I was actually surprised how, yeah, I mean, yeah, I was surprised how how good it was just because I'm not usually a a fan of horror films. Um, but I was just so into this one. It was just so well done. Yeah, it was, I think, best zombie movie ever. <laughs> I'm going to put it that. I would not argue with that. Um, sadly, it's. Uh, I heard that it's going to be remade into an English um, language, maybe just because, you know, we can't read subtitles. And, like, I want to say, if anyone's listening and they haven't watched it and they're like, oh, I'll just wait for the English one, no, don't. Watch it. Like, I'm not someone that can deal with sub- subtitles really hard for me. Like, I can't keep up with them. But this, like, it is worth it. Just, yeah, put your subtitle biases aside. Yeah. <laughs> I second that. Especially if you, if you, you know, watch anime and you're used to subtitles. Yes, that shouldn't be a problem. Yeah, just go for it. I don't like when they make perfectly good films in English. Uh, they've done that with another film that I watched. Uh, to be fair, the, the remake wasn't terrible, but... Unnecessary, it feels like. <laughs> yeah. I did have a subtitle issue in this, though. Well, the version I watched didn't have any subtitles for foreign, the like non-English-speaking bits. And I looked none, online... None at and all. None at all. I looked online and... Uh, it was a problem so i just ended up watching a version that didn't have the subtitles <laughs> um but because it was such a big such a big problem um the subtitles are really easy to find online i go like i googled are there subtitles for snowpiercer like can i just not work out how to t- turn them on for the version i have and then yeah apparently it was a problem that there wasn't originally any english subtitles for it so uh, i i rewatched it yesterday but i had to um Rent it from Amazon Prime, and they didn't have subtitles for the Korean um, stuff either. Because they had those moments where Nam Namgoon is freed, and then they have a translator for. So in the film, they have a translator yeah. for his his uh, his Korean to English, and then and now I'm wondering because I got subtitles, but I didn't get subtitles for everything, and I felt that was intentional. But now you're kind of making me worry yeah. that. Because it had the translator, and I was like, okay, that that's getting around that bit. But there was like a whole like dialogue between Namgoon, I know, and the daughter Yona. Oh yeah. And that was like, I mean, I can get the, I guess I can guess. Oh yeah. Somewhat. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I don't even need the the. I was going to say the forest, but the the, the garden section. How was like, it? They have a, they have a whole conversation about like because she's holding a... dirt and he's like I've never seen dirt before. And he's like oh you know in the old world it's all underneath our feet. Oh uh, I didn't know that that's what was said there. That is not <laughs> a bit that I got. Um, it was actually the classroom and they're to- it's when they're talking about the the seven other oh, ones that tried to escape before basically. Yes yeah 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 that bit. And I was like, oh, this is actually relevant. Like, <laughs> knowing what they say here is kind of yes, useful relevant. to the yeah. story. Yeah, those are important subtitles. <laughs> so, yeah, we spoke a bit about the, the different sections. And I was yeah, quite fascinated about 
like I said, this being a kind of uh, allegory for class segregation, class structure, and the struggles of that. And I just loved seeing how the progression was made and how as they made uh, steps towards different cars, you just kind of see like, oh, this, the where you were living, I thought that was it. But no, there's a whole kind of life, there's whole, there's upper levels to this thing. Mm. They have this idea of, of order and uh, Minister Mason kind of reiterates this, like the kind of, I can't remember the exact quote, but something about the, like the natural order of things and it's replicated along the train. So did any of the... Um, any of the sections stand out to anyone because I was particularly interested by the classroom section just because that was that was the most jarring <laughs> to me yeah but yeah, yeah. also the yeah just because it was jarring and also just the nature of what they were doing essentially indoctrinating these these children who have no idea about you know they've they've heard about the people in the tale and and one of the the girls was like oh aren't or tell people, I can't remember what she says, but she's very disparaging towards people and tell, obviously never seen people from the end of the train. But yeah, that was a particularly kind of jarring uh, section for me. I'd agree in terms of the actual section. Yeah, like yeah. I was just like, oh my God. And they're all in there, like, it's all, it was so brightly coloured as well. It's such yeah. a contrast compared to all the other um, carriages. Um, and even like the way the teacher was speaking, it was all this like, kind of like tv's kids show like la di da di da but saying all these really horrible things like i was like you're saying it in the right tone but you're not <laughs> saying the right thing <laughs> and yeah and then like even uh like the girl i was like i feel like you're old enough to have your own like there's there's people in front of you you can see them and you're that's, still that's so like, though. yeah, you've been <laughs> so like brainwashed already. Like you seem to have lost all like child curiosity. What about you, Christian? No, I agree with the different, how they show the different carriages and basically showing the order of society. And it was just brilliant how they used the, the, uh, the train as a, as a um, allegory sort of for the class system, you know, like all the rich up front in luxury, the poor crammed in the back, mm. middle class in the middle. And even um, just, I, I guess, I, I can't remember exactly, but it seemed like the colours, you know, they're very dark and muted and sort of depressing at the back. And then as you ventured forward, it became brighter and there was more sort yeah. of fun noises and um, exciting things happening and, I got quite annoyed as they were moving through because <laughs> I, I guess it's kind of the, the nature of the story, but because we start, so we start with Curtis and we start in the tale. So then you kind of like, I identify with this and, and this is all there is. And <laughs> as they yeah. move through the train, I'm like, hold on a minute. You got, you tell, you're eating sushi here and you've got like a classroom. You, there's people mm. like in a bar. Like, what, how could you keep this from me? The moment that got me was the windows. <laughs> And it wasn't even that far through. It was like the next section. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, yeah. Because you have the, the bright windows and everyone's like, we've never seen sun before. Like, we don't even have windows. And I was like, that's uh, that's definitely a... Like, that That to me was like the moment. It's like, no, these people are completely separate. They are the only ones in the train that are treated this badly in this in this way. Yeah, it seems like it seems like the whole rest of the train was, you know, do, doing doing all right. 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> literally, like, just a vast comparison, like, from them to literally anyone else. It's a, I feel like it's a quite a... Because there's even, like, workers, I guess, in, like, the greenhouse and that. But I feel like, you know, they're they're around nature and, like, they, they've got something going on for them. Like, the stark contrast. And it sort of made me think of, like, the districts in um, uh, Hunger Games. Yeah, not exactly the same themes, but I guess a yeah, similar theme of, you know, you're here for our entertainment mm. kind of thing. Yeah. But yeah, no, the 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 classroom. The greenhouse was a interesting one for me just because as I mentioned with Yona, when she's holding the dirt and it's like, what is this? <laughs> you just remember like they're in a completely different world. Uh there was even a line early in the film with uh, I think Timmy, because they they wanted to get his his block, his protein <laughs> block, um, his one in particular, and they were trying to like barter and, and trade for his block. And I think uh, Curtis was like, you know, we'll we'll give you anything you want. And he says anything in the whole wide train. And that yeah. Was a, like <laughs> not the world, whole wide train. Like the train <laughs> is the world. So when you see Yona and she's holding this dirt, she's like, what is this? Like I've never seen this. And there's little things like that where I think it's Edgar who's saying, you know, what is steak? Or I don't remember steak. Or when uh, Namgoon pulls out a cigarette, it's like, we don't, we've never seen one of those in, in years and years. It just makes you think like, this is the world. What's scary And they use the word like extinct for objects. So it's like bullets are extinct. Cigarette, I thought cigarettes were extinct. It was like, which is obviously normally a phrase you connect with life, not a resource. I didn't think of that. Yeah, that's that's true. It's a great point. Uh, you just you just see how they react. I'd almost I'd almost prefer to be someone like Yona or Timmy because to to know what you've lost and like to forget it. Mm. Yeah, that, that's quite a hard thing to to think about. But if it's like this is all you know, right? yeah, this is the train, the whole white train. This is it. <laughs> <laughs> you can kind of deal with that thought, but yeah, when it's like, oh, I remember. I kind of remember steak, but not. Not really. Like, I struggle with that. Irks me because then later on we find that Edgar has grown up on the train, right? Yeah, he's oh, his best friend. Right? Never, yeah, he's oh, never yeah, he's never yeah, experienced yeah. steak. That's good. So oh, when wow, I, I was steak, I was like, and it's like, but you've never had steak. Like later yeah. on, I was like, wait, like, literally, when I found that out, I was like, wait, so Edgar never had steak? That's <laughs> the first thing that came to my mind. I did not think of that. That is a plot hole. Because he does, yeah, he does say, I I kind of remember what it's like. But yeah, he was b- born in the, wow, we just discovered a plot hole. <laughs> There's actually another one I was thinking of uh, before we start recording, but then I didn't write it down, so I've forgotten it. But if it comes to mind, but no, I didn't, okay. I didn't pick up on that. And then the, the other interesting one uh, for me was the actual engine section where mm-hmm. uh, Wilford lives. Just because... It was so small, and I don't know what I was expecting by the time they got to that point. But yeah, it just felt small. It's almost like, why would you want to live here? It just feels so isolated yeah. and uh, and small. But that is where you know he's the the leader. Uh, that's where he lives, and he's I guess he's got mm. his his comforts. But yeah, it just felt so like it's almost like uh, this is it when they got mm. there. Like, this is this is all it is. And like, oh, the way Wilford was like, do you not think that I have like my limits or whatever, like his, 
you know, his own problems. And I was like, mm. yours are literally all set on by yourself. <laughs> like, no one told you you had to lock yourself in your engine room. You've done that because you love trains. Like, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think they put that, I mean, I didn't feel very sorry for, for the driver. For, uh, I think they put that in to sort of tie in with the, the idea that, we're all victims of the system, you know, AKA the sort of train, you know, everyone yeah. in there is, is a prisoner. And then Wilford's from his point of view, he's, he's sacrificing something to keep the train going to keep the people alive. But obviously he is, you know, he's not very well informed, but uh, yeah, I didn't feel sorry for him, but, but, but I, I did think it was, I kind of liked that they did try to not humanize him, but try to, they showed a bit more of his, um, his, 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 his motivations and his yeah what he's doing you know he's like well i'm also I, i've also got it hard you know and I, and I guess a lot of rich people probably in the real world also think that oh we pay a lot of taxes and you know we <laughs> have to do this. everyone they want to hear our own story and i i think i would have had some like maybe felt a bit sorry for wilford if he didn't you know if he wasn't you know sectioned himself off if he was like part of the upper class like at least he'd be like connected to the other people that are, but he's just isolated himself and then gone oh isn't it a bad thing that i'm isolated here and we're all suffering together and it's like yeah but the peak of your suffering is literally your choice yeah that's it like the peak of your, is a hundred percent your choice yeah obviously the world's frozen outside and it's impossible to live out there well like when they started but you chose to then not just be isolated on this train, but then be isolated in your little section of it, like, and get other people up to do your bidding. Like, that was your choice. <laughs> <laughs> that was yours and yours alone. So, yeah. I'm not getting any sympathy. Zero sympathy. <laughs> None. I do like that he, he kind of voiced, like Christian said, his motivation because this idea of when there's a message, you you kind of see it from different perspectives. So even though we don't, you know, necessarily agree <laughs> with Wilfred mm-hmm. and his quote-unquote struggles, there's a justification for why he's doing what he's doing. And it kind of sort of goes to the theme because there's the argument of without him, like you all die. <laughs> so <laughs> that would you, you know, what's the balance? What's the trade-off? Yeah, mm. You want to live or you want to... Try and make it like those seven and get a few feet before you freeze. So I also just I just don't like him as a character. <laughs> like I could just point out, like not as a character, as a person, if if he was real. Because I just point out, it's like, so you built this train to just go round and round forever. You don't do you not have a science like part of the train where you're figuring out how we can then eventually stop the train and go outside? Like what is this the rest of humanity's existence on a train like i'm like set your dreams higher please have goals it's been 17 years course, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's been a while you think yeah he didn't save any scientists i guess it's like what's what's the point of it and i mean there are even people that think what's the point of life if you're just going to die like what's the point of going through all the motions and doing all this if in the end you just die and it's all you know, it's all gone. Mm. It's, I guess, yeah, it's, it's it's a good philosophical question you raise. Reminds me a bit of a, like, Attack on Titan, which I've not finished yet. I'm, I need to watch season three. I need to watch season two. Yeah, that would, that would be helpful, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was bad, but yeah, you, no. you trumped me on that one. 
but the idea that uh, the basic premise is that you know they're in these walls and there is the one group that go out but the idea is that everyone's just gonna stay in these walls and everyone thinks they're crazy for wanting to go out and find more and figure out if you know how that you can live outside these walls and the idea of like but there is something out there we know that we had it we had it (laughs) and so it's like we can we can have it again are we gonna just sit here and just be satisfied that you know the system is here to help us live just stay alive uh, which I feel uh, personally is the bare minimum of human existence. But that's the, that's the thing. That's most people are will be happy with just existence. Yeah, don't <laughs> rock the boat. Just exist. Because that sounds just like existence. Like we exist. That is that is good. That is don't, it. don't yeah. Don't rock the yeah. train in this case. But yeah. Yeah, I always relate to whatever character is like, nah, <laughs> I'm not happy with this. <laughs> like, but also I think I'm very content with the character that's like, nah, I'm not happy with this. But if you are, that's fine. I'm not judging you for that. You can you can just exist. That's not my choice. Like, but I personally want more. <laughs> Anyone that wants to come with me can join me. We're going this way to the front of the train. Yes. <laughs> I mean, speaking of characters, uh, because, yeah, there are some very interesting characters in this, uh, I thought I'd just highlight a Starting with, with Curtis, because he's the main character. The thing I really liked about Curtis and the way he's introduced, so he's the leader of this revolution, and he's kind of the reluctant leader, because he makes a point of, you know, seeing Gilliam, the older kind of mental character, as the leader. But he is—he's doing the leader things. So, but is he though? Oh, okay. We'll we'll come to that. But what I liked about his introduction is how it tells his character without any words. So you see at the very beginning when they're counting the passengers, and they they clearly have this system of when the guards come in, everyone sort of sits in their in their sections. So as people are standing, then sitting row by row, you have Curtis who just stood there. And he's got this like seething rage underneath the surface. I just love that introduction because it, it tells you who he is and who he's going to be for a lot of this film without saying anything. And mm-hmm. then he's like, he has to be pulled down and uh, you kind of see from there. But to Tazzy's objection. So you're saying he's not doing, isn't he doing lead, leader things? Isn't he the leader? He He's being puppeted. <laughs> well, okay, okay, yeah. So yeah, we'll, we'll come to the the ending, but yeah, we find that it's all kind of part of the system, essentially. Which like, that twist was like amazing. Like I think how they done that and how they did build up Curtis's character to make us think that he was a leader that we that didn't want to be a leader and was so defiant of being a leader that then kind of like, well, you've kind of and then kind of starts to lean into the leadership role and then it's kind of like snatched away. <laughs> Uh, and then offered on a plate, but again, isn't really leadership. It was like false leadership on a plate. But then ultimately, I feel like he ends in leadership. And then there's a really symbolic moment for that. I don't know if you want to talk about that. Okay, let's. Let, we'll come to the ending. Okay. <laughs> we'll definitely come to that. Were there any other characters that stood out? I, I mentioned it a bit earlier, but Minister Mason, I didn't like the character. <laughs> I didn't like the person, <laughs> but I love watching... 
yeah, just like watching the performance because such a standout character for me, just in terms of visually the way the character looked and uh, and talked, but also their place in this system. Because you like for any system to exist, you need people who kind of you know I sign on to this, and that is that character. Like I, I'm here to punish these these tail passengers. I enjoy it. She clearly enjoys the role. But as soon as this thing crumbles, I'm out. Like, <laughs> I will flip to whatever you want me to be to stay alive. Like, again, mm. I don't like those characters, but I do like watching them. I kind of respect the survival, out of your own survival. Because I feel like everyone is, but they just wear theirs more on the surface. <laughs> Definitely. And have, like, less consideration for other people's survival at the cost of their own. Um, what did you think, Christine, particularly about, like, the... Uh, Mason character or any other characters that stood out to you? Actually, um, we must have been sharing notes because she's also my favourite character and for similar reasons to you. I mean, she just has amazing dialogue, costumes are just great and she's just super creepy. And, you know, Tilda Swinton's acting is just incredible as usual. But like you sort of said, I, th- I, I think it was her role in the story sort of uh, controlling idea that you know, like when you have a controlling idea and then you like, like a story's idea and then each character, like you said, represents a certain um, uh, point of view of that idea, you know, and, and for her, she was, it's, her role is very black and white, you know, there's not, I don't think there's, there's meant to be much sort of nuance in her beliefs and she's just a blind believer in this system and, and she believes this system must be maintained at all costs. Although, like you guys just said, she also can switch quite easily. <laughs> you know, for her own survival. But I think it's when it comes to her roles, basically, you know, just, just a blind believer. And she's, she's a really good contrast with um, the driver, Wilford. So, you know, like I sort of said earlier, you know, you, you get to hear his justification for his actions and why he does what he does. But, and to an extent, maybe you kind of think, you know, um, his reasons are understandable, you know, because, because the train can't run unless they exploit children to keep the engine going, you know, so what are you supposed to do? So this is just, obviously I don't agree with him, but it's, but it's an interesting question. But for her, you, you don't, you don't see her reasons. She's just, she's just the person, this is the system has to continue mm-hmm. at any cost. That's it. You know, and you don't know how she got to that point. You don't know. Um, I mean, yeah, they could have put some backstory or a bit more, but, um, but I liked her role in the, in the story, actually, just in the story's themes and ideas. Yeah. Yeah, no, I like I like that view. I uh, I wish Edgar was more <laughs> in it more, or just just when he is in it that he was more than just okay. like Curtis's sidekick. Because <laughs> he had a he had a short but in, important role. Yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know how to explain it. Kind of like just I feel like he could have punched more. Not physically punch more, but like his character could have more like oomph to his it, like his role in okay. like who cares, which, which I suppose he kind of gets, but at the end when he's not really in it anymore, <laughs> it gets yeah, it gets more significance when you hear yeah like, who who he is to Curtis. Mm, but then I feel like when we get to that bit, I'm like, oh, that it wasn't made out how like the connection between Chris and Ed. Uh, Curtis and Edgar, like how strong it actually was meant to be. I don't, I don't feel that until we hear the 
sad story. Yeah, I get that. He kind of he comes across more of like maybe a fan. <laughs> yeah, like oh wow, Curtis, you're so amazing. You should be the leader. Why don't you do this? Oh, <laughs> like it's just a fan boy. Like, <laughs> alright, that's fair. Because when we hear that story, it sounds like oh, Curtis really had this strong connection to Edgar, and so. But I didn't get that until that end, and I feel like when he was on screen, we could have just felt that bond a little bit more. Right. I mean, yeah, like he, his moment is when Curtis had to choose between facing down uh, Mason and, and saving his friend. And that was quite of a hard, hard choice that uh, mm. uh, I couldn't help because Chris Evans, I couldn't have having uh, Avengers flashbacks and like, I thought <laughs> yeah. you don't trade lives. Like, <laughs> <laughs> You're going against your whole ethos. Yeah. <laughs> I, in that in that moment, I kind of became uh, a Twitter comment. It was like, "Oh, but in this film, you said you don't trade lives, and now you tra- <laughs> like explain yourself." Yeah. <laughs> and then the other person we've we spoken about him, uh, Namgoon, who I'm hoping I'm pronouncing that right. Just, I mean, he's just an interesting character to watch all along. But I love the the characters who kind of come across a certain way because we think he's just like this trade security expert, but also a drug addict. And then you find out, like, you know, I'm not just a drug addict, it would be probably was, but I've been saving all these so I can use them. I've actually been thinking this whole way through. Like, I'm the one that put the pieces together in terms of the the seven, because they had the the bit of foreshadowing, whereas, like, mm. the leader of the seven that tried to escape was a Inuit and told him about different types of snow. So then you put that together with him, like, looking at the train. Oh, that was the plot hole. So I just, that just popped into my head. Because he said, so he said, I've been looking at this train, you know, as they pass by the tunnel and I know yeah, it's been yeah. full, but he's been in prison. That's true. He, he he was saying that the snow has been melting, melting, right? Each year. Yeah. But how long has he been in prison? Oh, good point. Because it's know. like, it has been 17 years. So. Ah, uh, fair. Okay. Okay. Maybe it's not. He would have been in oh, I just, yeah. prison for that whole time because his daughter's aged alive and yeah yeah. <laughs> age, yeah. Fair point. okay that was the thing i was I trying to remember it just like literally just popped into my head but he was just an interesting character just because at the end it's like i haven't just been sniffing this stuff i've been collecting it so i can mm. I, I can complete my plan i love that when those unsuspecting characters kind of take a turn and then reveal like their true intentions i kind of had my suspicions of that from when we meet him uh because they make a point to say that this substance is is extremely flammable like over and over again (laughs) well that's going to be used as an explosion like (laughs) (laughs) and because the way it kept being repeated was like as if they really want you to know that so that when it gets to that point you're not just like oh that's convenient but it's explosive (laughs) (laughs) yeah but that's kind of like i I have a, a newfound appreciation for that since making comics where for certain things later on, you kind of have those moments. And like, Christian, you might have had this where you, you actually have to go back <laughs> and plant things so that things yeah, later yeah. on yeah, make sense. No, I think it was, I, I, I agree that he's a really interesting character. And I think they did a good, I don't know if the expression is like bait and switch. And uh, is that on, maybe not the right expression, but where they led us down this path to think that he was just this sort of drugged up sort of guy who was kind of useless. And then they, you know, put a bit of twist in there, he actually had a really important role. And, and I didn't, yeah, I didn't like his character for sort of half the movie. And, and I, I sort of, but the first time I watched it and I was 
thinking to myself that, like, I know he, I think he was in a couple other movies of um, Bong Joon Ho. So I thought, oh, he's just putting in his collaborator mate into this movie just to give him a role. And this character didn't, this character wasn't in the comics, although, to be honest, I don't think any of the, most of the characters were, but there was some kind of reflection of the characters, like shadow characters. But uh, yeah, and I thought he just put his mate in just to be a bit, you know, have this sort of guy in there. But um, yeah, but in the end, he he was really important, and it wasn't just uh, for the plot; it was also for sort of for the themes. And yeah, it was really it was really smart. I mean, as I talk about this, I just realize he's just such a brilliant director. Like he just made all he made all of this work somehow. And you know, I'm going off on a tangent, but even like you were talking about the. Um, you guys both said that the classroom scene was your favourite scene, and I think I also had this. Uh, had, this is my favourite scene as well. And he just, like we said, you know, that some of these things seem ridiculous and fantastical, but it, he makes it work some somehow. And this classroom also seemed just ridiculous, but it's not really that far from the real world and what people get taught in classrooms. You know, even when I was in primary school in the seventies and eighties, you know, we. You know, it wasn't too far from what we were being taught then. And but what he also does, he just somehow manages to fit so much into one scene. Like, you know, as a writer, I'm trying to like I you know, I make sure that every scene has some kind of role. Like it's either moving the story forward or it's character development or it's um you know, backstory revealed or some kind of theme engagement or even a bit of humor. But he in that sort of classroom scene, he you know, the, the plot was moved along, there was backstory revealed. Themes were discussed. You know, we had important character development. He just somehow managed to put so many story elements into one scene. Mm. And I did. I just. I, I just think he's brilliant. And you know, I know, I know I'm not the first one to say that. You know, but um, yeah. When you see it come together, it's like it's when you think about it, when you create stories, you have an appreciation. It gives you a different appreciation for it. Where the way it, the way the story is, it doesn't have to be like that. Like it could have gone a different way. It didn't need to be as. It didn't need to hang together. So. There's a there's a skill to it, essentially, to make things work the way they do. Um, I was like quite fascinated with how they do, it. and it doesn't just come first time. Uh, I don't know anyone who can put together like amazing stories first time. It's like it's the skill is in the revision and in the reordering of pieces to so that it, like you say, it hits all those boxes in terms of storytelling, and it's enjoyable to watch. Yeah, I think a lot, exactly what you said, like with the time it takes, like a lot of people I think just assume that these stories, you know, you start mapping them out and it's just organic. Oh, this is boom, 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 boom. But they don't realise how much effort goes into each scene. Mm. Like even in comics, or especially in comics, like I've actually written a novel that, I mean, it hasn't been published, but, you know, you probably have more scope to sort of get a bit fancy and sort of write some ideas that you want to write or some characters or some scenes that may not 100% be 100% sort of necessary. But with comics, you know, you have almost no, real, you know, you don't have much real estate. So you have to make every sort of word count, you know, every panel count, every scene count, every page count. Then it, this doesn't come naturally. Like it's, I mean, obviously there are some brilliant writers out there, right? It can be a lot easier than it, than it takes me, for example. But, um, yeah, just the effort that you have to put in, crazy. So what he's done, I, you know, as a writer, I'm, yeah, I'm astounded, and he's, you know, he's, he's he's like that in his other movies. I mean, Parasite is is a masterpiece. Yeah, I need to. Okay, I'm gonna watch that. So I mentioned it earlier. This idea of like the train and order, and even the Mason character kind of uh, represents this because she talks about 
you know, people being in line. And she's in, even has this quote when one of the, the tail passengers tries to kind of lash out and then has his arm frozen. And, oh and she has a speech. She tells everyone to, to be a shoe. The shoe goes at the bottom. The hat is at the top. And then she puts the shoe on his head. Something like that. She does something with shoes. Like, be, be a shoe, which is a, a very dispiriting message. But <laughs> you have this word, that phrase, and then the word, sustainable also she uses i think when they're in the the aquarium section with the sushi she talks about like they only have the sushi twice a year to keep the balance and then mm. that's sort of how the the train is when we learn about the the engineered revolts that needed to keep the population to a sustainable level and then the kind of like the the big theme about income inequality sort of social classes and privilege privilege you see the people at the tail who are just li- existing basically and then there's people at the front sort of dancing and eating sushi mm. and, uh, and all that and you see like uh there wasn't there like a salon section <laughs> you see mm. these people just getting their hair done it's like wow you can you can do that <laughs> while these people are eating uh condensed uh insects and and all that but then it kind of goes to the idea of revolution and bringing down the system and this kind of links to the ending but when curtis does get to the engine and he gets to wilfred and wilfred explains that your revolution was part of the plan so we find out in the final twist that gilliam has been working with wilfred to engineer this revolt so that people die because they need to keep uh, was it like 74% of the passengers or something like that. And it kind of goes this idea of can you, how do you bring down a system? Because you, you thought you were leading this revolt. It's actually part of the plan. So how can you get out of the system other than to completely bring down the whole thing? Because at the end, Curtis gets a choice. He either goes with exploding the train door, but then he wants to speak to Wilson and is given the choice of take over. And it's only when he finds out children have been sort of powering the train that gives him that last push to actually know, yeah, we need to bring this whole thing down. So I feel that that's what the film is trying to say, if anything, in that to you can't just like go for a revolution, you need to bring down the whole system. But what do you think? Yeah, I, I, I absolutely agree that, it, that, I mean, the train, the train was a metaphor for the, for the system and in order to destroy the system, uh, sorry, um, in order to... You know, so you've got to bring down the train if you're going, yeah. to, you're going to destroy the system. And, and, that, and only then can you rebuild a better world, you know, which is basically the two, uh, two kids getting off the train and seeing the polar bear. And, you know, we're led to assume that they, that they, um, they will create a new society, I, I guess, unless the polar bear eats them. <laughs> yeah, that's the after credit scene. <laughs> yeah, I write horror comics. But, um... But yeah, yeah, it's definitely that's the only way that I guess the only way you can you can make changes to bring down the system. But but it's just sort of interesting. Like then even revolutions, you know, they say there's no real point in them because the system won't change. Blah blah. But how do you bring down the system? Like if not through revolution, or what's the point of a revolution? Is it just to change society, or is it to bring down this capitalist system? Or it's yeah, and this is why I like this film because then. You just gets you thinking about those things and then I guess the, the system we exist in. And uh, it's interesting. I mean, this was 2013, but it just made me think of uh, 2020 and where we saw with the pandemic how 
almost how fragile systems are, how the, like you say, they have to sort of completely take down the system and then uh, rebuild it, I guess is the, the final message. But we saw like last year, I feel we saw that the the system is fragile. We think that this is this is rock solid, but you know yes. something can come along and, and suddenly it doesn't work. Like it, it doesn't work the way so we need it, and then sort of certain things have to be done. So it, it does make you think about we're we're on a some version of a train ourselves, and we're kind of going along, but something can mess this up very easily. Well, not very easily because you know like we get a pandemic every year, but you know something can come and mess this up. It's like the way that the passengers they they didn't. I guess that they didn't think there was another alternative. You know, it was just the train. The train was their world, and it can be the same, same thing with people in the real world. Whereas we just think this is it. Like there's no other alternative. This is the only system we have. You know, and so people don't really try to change the system. They just try to. It's like people say, you know, don't don't blame the player, blame the system. You know, like everyone's just trying to become comfortable in their own way or trying to succeed in this system that's forced on us. Yeah, it's 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 funny you talk about. You brought up Corona because I was, I was actually thinking something similar, and it's it's not like obviously the system is fragile, and we can see how you know once people have to lock themselves in or you know shops aren't open, you can see how fragile this system is that we've set up. But I was just thinking, um, it's not quite the same parallel, but but it does. But the movie does explore how one group has to be sacrificed, or this is what they believe. You know, the poor in the case of the movie, in order to sort of prop up the system. Um, you know, like poor kids are stolen, indoctrinated, and then used to keep the engine going. And and I just felt a little bit, you know, I've I've been kind of quite angry during this whole pandemic about how people are acting and how we're sort of treating each other. And and I just think, like, you know, with the lockdowns and restrictions, a lot of people saying, oh, life must go on. We just got to open up the the um, the economy. You know, we just need to keep this going. You know, even though it's sort of elderly and chronically sick. We're extremely high risk if, if we don't have restrictions. Like, yeah, okay, we've got to, you know, maybe we should open up a bit and stuff like that. But people saying, and I've heard this from people that I know in, in person saying, oh, well, just, you know, wash your hands and just fine, just go on life. And it's like, are we really happy to sacrifice these at high risk people in order for this way of life to continue? Is there not a, another way we can do it? And like, I don't know the answer, but I, I definitely know that, um, you know, I'm happy to have restrictions if it means, you know, that, um, you know, older people and sick people can be a bit safer. You know, that, yeah. that's not the end, the end solution, but, you know, for a certain point it was. And so, I don't know, I just sort of saw some parallels how we're, we're happy to sacrifice a certain portion. Mm. Yeah, I think for me, the parallel that I saw was like the choices that people have. Uh, and sort of like lower end having having no choice on how how their lives are are used literally, yeah. uh, and then the the upper class can sort of like have a much more freedoms of choice Just on how like they live, how they, they live, enjoy. yeah, and how they can choose to live. Like they don't have to worry about their children being used to power the train, and yeah, they just just don't, yeah, the lower end just don't have the choice to uh do that and also the uh there's like the idea that the like when they first got on the train and they were all like cannibals and then someone sacrificed their arm instead of a baby instead of edgar and like that sort of like self-sacrifice and that being like obviously it's not the baby's choice to be eaten (laughs) (laughs) 
but chopping off your own arm and offering that that is your own choice yeah but talking of the arms uh, which is what i wanted to bring up about Curt- curtis's you know flip from leader not leader leader not leader do we know what he is and there was like the really symbolic moment of him sort of really actually doing an action that is of his choice and sort of like being a leader in his own right beyond his manipulation because obviously he had a real thing with the fact that he still had his arm <laughs> Yeah. And he can't be a leader with one arm, which made absolutely no sense. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I, yeah, I took it as like, I haven't sacrificed anything. Yeah. In, in this story, it meant giving up an arm for some reason. Yeah. And it was like, what do you mean? I was like, what do you mean? What, you want your arm frozen off? And <laughs> like, that wasn't, that wasn't leadership or like, it made no sense until, and it's like, oh, he didn't chop his arm off so that people could eat it. And then he loses his arm saving a kid. And then that was kind of his, and because that was the point where he was like, no, like, wait a minute. I don't want to lead this train, this system. The system's stupid. (laughs) I want a different system. Let me save this kid. Uh, And then his arm gets crushed off. And then he kind of has a, he's satisfied with the fact that his (laughs) arm's crushed off. It He's seems. Happy. He's like, oh, I'm a leader now. <laughs> yeah, no, it, it it kind of was his his moment and the the whole thing about the kids as well. And I think again, this being, you know, a, a chance to reflect on sort of our own society and like Christine said about the way we do things. Cause that was like the last question I I had in terms of it made me think about, you know, what what cost is it to keep what we have going specifically the way it's it's going and yeah it does make you think like it doesn't have to be like this i also don't know the answer if i did i'd probably be wilfred but but yeah just you you saw that like it doesn't necessarily need to be this way there are there's a, there are alternatives but then on the on the flip side and i put myself in this where you know you when you see the reveal that you see kids are working the system i'm gonna be honest i wasn't I wasn't that shocked just because like, you know, we all have, I don't know, phones. I I feel like if we look close enough at the supply chain of our phones, you're going to find some kids somewhere. So to a certain extent, this is, it's like looking in the mirror. (laughs) We sort of Mm -hmm. accepted this. There might might not be our kids, but uh, there's someone's kids. Yeah, Yeah. someone's kids. So (laughs) I'll put these things together somewhere uh, on some level. It's like we've accepted that. And this is why I tried not to think about it too much, but it did. It was like, actually yeah this is this is who we are kind of we are you know we on this on this podcast probably closer to the to the front of the train than than the back and it's... yeah maybe we're like in the gardens or something yeah <laughs> maybe we're, we're somewhere in between that and the you know getting your suit tailored <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm in a nightclub party i hope <laughs> oh, you're like right at the front of the train <laughs> <laughs> so just on that theme about you know the the train being a reflection of our real side and there was one thing that went through my head i was watching it yesterday and it didn't really the first time i watched it you look at how poor that back carriage was i mean in the movie it, it's a bit more obvious but for example in in the comic there's actually a thousand and one carriages so i think there were more poor people it was maybe a harder problem to fix but oh, i'm not sure about that actually but um 
But uh, but in the film, there's 101 carriages. So, you know, there weren't that many poor people, to be honest, you know. So you just think how easy would it be just for all these middle class or yes, yes. give them a little bit of just a share, <laughs> yeah, food like a little a bit of your sushi. But then when you think about it, that's what we. I mean, I grew up extremely working class, so you know I can't say growing up I could have done much, but now I, you know, I, I can, and yeah, you know, there's probably I do do some things, but you know, and I do work in public service, but there's more I could do and there's more we could all do, but we all kind of, to a sense, you know, we're like, ah, oh, it's a system and we want to be, you know, we want to be able to have a nice sort of Mac laptop to to um, do podcasts on, you know, and meanwhile yeah. some kid down the road is sort of starving, you know, so, yeah, it sort of makes you think about your own um, culpability. Yeah. No, that gets on me a lot. And probably most of the reason why I can't watch things like this and why I just <laughs> outside of watching things uh, often suffer from depression because I'm like I'm trying to save the planet and trying to not contribute to like all of this stuff in the world and I don't know what I'm doing and every time I do something right it turns out that you know that's just as corrupt as the last <laughs> thing you've done and I, I get that and <laughs> it's, it is heavy but I do like that in, uh, in stories because I, I feel that is the the purpose of stories is to get us Definitely. to just think about uh, the world we exist in and in different ways that we might not always uh, consider. And maybe it will make you think about like one thing, one small thing that you can change that yeah, exactly can be a have a ripple effect. You know, there you go, one small change. So, uh, but I wouldn't give out that sushi. But um, anyway, so <laughs> that has been <laughs> our discussion uh, of. <laughs> of Snowpiercer, uh, let us know what you think and uh, yeah, if this film has uh, made you think about your own uh, culpability in this never-ending train that we are all on or something equally dark <laughs> and depressing as that. Uh, before we end the episode, we're going to just give a storytelling tip for the week. Each time we do a deep dive on the podcast, I like to pull out a storytelling tip for others to consider when making their stories. So this is a consideration from someone who also creates stories and likes to learn from the techniques and or mistakes of others. So for this episode, because we talked about the train and the systems, I'm going to talk about using uh, allegory to convey your story's message. So this was actually something quite relevant in terms of timing because I recently did, I was part of an event and I spoke to a young story writer who asked if there was a danger in creating a story with an overt message. And my answer to her was that like any good story should have some kind of message and, but a danger comes from the execution. So implementing an allegory in your story is one way to deliver uh, this message. And when a a narrative contains an allegory, it, it means that the writer is trying to convey a particular message. So simply put, an allegory is a story in which the events and characters stand for something besides themselves. So as a writer or creator, you can choose to write an allegorical uh, narrative to give the reader a message in a way that would be more easily digested than if delivered directly. So a well-known example is Animal Farm. Uh, a story that is created by George Orwell to talk about the story of Russian Revolution in a way that anyone could understand. But it's not just a story about Russian history. It also makes a broader argument about political power and oppression. So those events and characters mean more. 
And in Snowpiercer, we have a story that makes a statement bigger than a group of passengers leading a revolt on a train. It's uh, The story is an allegory for the world and society at large. And we see that in the very setting, which is the, the train itself, which is continuously running and represents both humankind's ingenuity as well as its faults. So the entire premise of the film can be read as a political allegory for fascist governance and the exploitation of the poor, poor classes at the tail end. And the aim of an allegory is for us to see and think about its elements in our own world. So in this case, uh, segregation of social classes, uh, the way food is made, education, uh, and yeah, just the whole system that we uh, exist in. And allegory is uh, related to a metaphor, but kind of encompasses the whole story rather than any particular moment uh, within it. So within the setting of the train, we then can have uh, symbols and motives to reinforce those themes uh, that represent different elements of the allegory. So for example, we see uh, Wilfred, who is kind of treated as this godlike figure to the point of children being brainwashed into believing him as the saviour. But then to the tail passengers, he is the representation of the ways that human beings can abuse their, uh, their power. And uh, another example, at one point, we see Curtis and his group uh, faced with masked men carrying axes. And the only holes in their mask are on the mouths and no place for the eyes to see. So it's kind of a representation of like literal and ethical blindness where they just follow uh, Wilfred and uh, Minister Mason. So here are four considerations for conveying uh, your story's message through allegory. Uh, number one is to develop your story's themes and messages. So I've mentioned this a lot on the podcast, um, just big on stories saying something. So I feel, uh, especially in this case, so for any of this to work, you have to know what your story is saying Ultimately, it can't just be a collection of cool moments or cool dialogue. So there has to be some kind of purpose um, with one or more themes that contribute to some kind of message that you as the creator want to communicate to your audience. Number two is take time to plan out uh, your allegory. Stories are hard enough to construct without going that uh, extra step of framing the narrative as an allegory. Uh, I've not done it uh, myself, but is something I'm now uh, interested in. Uh, so once you know what you want to say, just think about how you will translate that message into different scenes, characters, symbols, uh, motives throughout. Number three is explore the theme from different perspectives. So when you have a clear message in your story, especially one that you're passionate about, it can be easy for the story to become essentially a mouthpiece for your own point of view. So you want to avoid this by using those elements to come at your central message from different and conflicting perspectives. So that way you kind of engage your audience rather than preach to them, which is uh, the danger that I mentioned a bit earlier. Last one is to not forget that you're making a story. So all this talk of allegory, uh, remember that you still have to make a story that stands as, on its own as an entertaining uh, narrative to your audience. So regardless of whether the allegory has been picked up or not, uh, Snowpiercer is just a really entertaining film uh, without the need to think about social order or segregation and indoctrination. So yeah, don't don't forget that you're uh, making a story at the end of the day. Um, so yeah, so that has been this week's story tip. There will be a video of the tip at some point on YouTube. So check our channel there. 
can always send us your own storytelling tips for the show, whether it's a comic, manga, game, book, something else, send them to feedback at myamada.com or join our Discord and let us know there. So before we end this episode, uh, let's check in with our guest. Yeah, so um, Christian, we'd love to hear a bit more about what you have going on, if there's any news or interesting projects you're working on. Awesome. Um, I'm not as probably busy with my writing as usual. I kind of started a new job and moved country last year and it's sort of taken over my life. But I've still got some stuff going on. So I recently published um, Murky Waters, which is a uh, an anthology of eight stories that I wrote, uh, horror, horror stories, sort of philosophical horror. Yeah, that was published via Kickstarter and that sort of went out a couple months ago to, to all the backers. Um, and I also have two short comics coming out very soon. The first is in Tales from the Quarantine, which is curated by Fraser Brown. It has like 400 creators in it. Um, and some oh, of my... I saw this. Oh, man, it's massive. It's got um, like some some writers and artists that, that, that I generally look up to. And so just to be involved is huge. Um, it's only one, I mean, it's only one page comic, but it's still, you know, I'm really happy. Um, and it's the first time that I'll have something published by someone other than myself. So that's always, um, I mean, I'm, I like self-publishing, but, but, it, but it's nice to not have to organize it in yourself. Um, and I've got another story, a 10 page story, um, this is a little, little bit of a horror story as well in the Passion Anthology, which is created by my friend in Holland, Renee Rientes. Uh, that's coming out very soon. I think the Kickstarter is coming within a month or two. And We've she's actually... Show. Sorry? Yes, of course, show, yeah. of course you did. Of course you did for the Dutch Comic Con, yeah. Or even the podcast as well. He's oh, you did it for the podcast yeah, as well? Yeah, okay. Oh, awesome. Um, yeah, she's like, we're pretty good friends, so... Um, yeah, it's really nice to be involved. But she's also the artist on my story. So that's really cool. I, I absolutely love her art. Um, uh, and I'm also working on, almost finished plotting, a graphic novel with my wife. And it's set between Sydney and Tunisia. It's basically exploring the meaning of home, what it means to sort of all different people. Like we both lived away from home for a long time. I've been away from Australia for 12 years. She's been away from Tunisia for like, God, almost... 20, 20 years? How old is she now? I forget. She doesn't tell me. Um, <laughs> and, you know, we're both like, you know, I'm living in France. She lives in Holland, actually. We haven't lived together at the moment. It's So we both are going to try to move to a country that's, you know, well, we're going to move somewhere where we can both be together, but we'll still both be away from home. So, you know, we, it's really important sort of issues for us. Um, and non-comic-wise, I'm pitching my literary fiction novel, which took me about seven years to write. It's a philosophical coming-of-age story set in Sydney in the late 1990s. Um, that's all finished. I sort of had an editor review it all and sort of – so I've just started pitching that. That's it. Awesome. Um, and also, where can we find you? Online, that is. <laughs> I feel it'll be difficult to find you, like, physically now anyway, <laughs> jumping around the place. Yeah. Um, uh so i never know the actual links i should write them down but if you just google my name christian Karnush, uh, oh i'm sorry um search on twitter i'm just under my name and same as instagram 
Um, also, Facebook, I have a page, Karnush Productions. I'm not so busy on that page compared to Twitter. Yeah, the main thing is um, Twitter. And I do have a website, Karnush Productions, but I haven't been updating it that much. I'm re- I'm, I mean, I hate Twitter with a passion, but, uh, but it's also what I use mostly to connect with comic book friends. So. Right. We will put all of the relevant links in the show notes. Thank you, Christian, for uh, joining us. We managed to get the, the right story for the right guest, it seems. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me, guys. It's been, like, honestly, a real pleasure. No worries. Um, yeah, appreciate uh, everyone who kind of joins us to talk about stories. So if you have enjoyed listening to this episode, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss a single uh, one past, present or future. Uh, you can also give us a rating uh, and review uh, wherever you can do those things on whatever platform you're listening as that helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions. Uh, I touched on it earlier on in the podcast, but we have our own stories, uh, including Serious Through the Fog, our pandemic-inspired story, which is coming in July at some point. We are working on artwork. Uh, it is coming. And uh, yeah, you can see our existing stories at mymatter.com forward slash manga, uh, all within our universe of anthropomorphic characters and for any game fans uh, out there listening we have our gamepad discord which you can join we have uh, our new membership for exclusive access to gamepad events and content for the Mayamata universe and of course gamepad online uh, is coming on july the 10th free event streaming on twitch hosted by tazzy gamepad.events you can check out all that all that information Uh, We release new episodes on Thursdays that include creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. You can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at myamada.com, and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story. Thanks again for tuning in, and until next time, uh, stay safe and uh, stay on the train. I think it's safer. I think it's safer there. So, yeah. Uh, See you all later.